Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joining with us in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning as all those who watch us on television and online. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you all with us this morning. And again, good morning to our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point as well. So good to see all of you this morning. Uh, I have a, a, someone that we're very happy to see. You'll remember when we had our big uh, meeting at the Widener Center last fall, we gave a shout out to my cousin Carmen, who was going through breast cancer treatments and stuff like that. And she's all done. She's here this morning. So we're glad that she's here. Mi prima hermana, te quiero mucho Yo estoy el negrito esta mañana, ¿sí? Yeah, ¿le gusta? Yeah, sí, claro. Just talking about how good I look. All right. <laughs> this is, and she has a couple of friends with her, glad from Minneapolis. We do, yes, we're glad you're here. We do try to limit the uh, Vikings fans as much as possible here, but... Uh, you got just in under the limit, so you're, you're okay. It is the season of Lent. We started not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before on Ash Wednesday. The season of Lent, the time, 40 days or so, that comes up to Easter. It is a time of reflection and of intentional sacrifice. Now, the truth is, Christians are supposed to be sacrificing all the time. Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, you need to learn to deny yourself. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you really know you have the Holy Spirit in your life, when you can control yourself. As Christians, we're supposed to control ourselves. Everybody say, control myself. Control. We're supposed to control ourselves. If you're out of control, there's something wrong. And the one way that you can, that's what I'm talking about. And one of the, <laughs> you need to control yourself back there. So the, <laughs> and, one of the ways that we control ourselves is by saying no to this. You're not just supposed to say yes to everything that you want. It's not good for you. We need to learn to control ourselves. We're supposed to deny ourselves. We're supposed to live sacrificial lives and whatever. So anyway, that's supposed to be all the time. But at Lent, we get real intentional. Okay, for this next period of time, is it 40 days? Wait, I keep guessing what it is, 40? 40 days, yeah, okay. I think I know this stuff. It's my job. But for 40 days, <laughs> we're supposed to, you know, we, we step it up, some intentional sacrificing. And this is where people will, you know, do some fasting and maybe skip some meals or give up meat or, you know, uh, I always enjoy the ones who give up coffee. <laughs> Watching that <laughs> slow withdrawal. <laughs> 
you know, just, I just said good morning. Get away from me. Yeah, I mean, that's because of the coffee. But, uh, uh, and different things that people do. And, and, and it's good that, that they do it. One of the things that I'm encouraging people to do during this season of Lent is to fast staying home on Wednesday nights and coming to church. I say that because most of you stay at home and you don't come. Well, I'm tired. Good. Well, I don't want to come. Good. Well, I'm miserable. Great. That's what makes it great for Lent. Now, I got to tell you, it doesn't really build my self-esteem to consider that for you to truly suffer, you have to come and listen to me talk. But set it aside. Wednesday nights, we're not going to stay home. All right, I'm tired. Okay, when Lent is over, you can go back to your lazy ways. But during the season of Lent, come and be part. It's just, it's one hour, exactly one hour service. And we just go through the Bible and teach the Bible. And, and uh, anyway, so come on out. So now, seeing, seeing how it is Lent, I have the miserable <laughs> duty of doing what we pastors must do from time to time, which is to talk about money. But it's perfect during Lent because if there's one thing that people don't like to hear, it's give money. Because now you're really talking, you're getting personal now, right? And why is money such a big deal? Because it represents our life. We work hard. It, money is a representation of all of the energy that you put out every week. And to let go of that freely when it takes so hard to get it is tough, okay? And we want to hang on to it. So this is where we get the idea of tithing. We're going to talk about tithing. It's an old English word that only churches use. Nobody in the world knows what we're talking about. But when, when you say tithing, it's, it's become synonymous with giving. When you give, you tithe. So where does that come from? We're going to take a look at that real briefly this morning. Now, in the book of Genesis, those of you not familiar with the Bible, it's the very first book. All right? Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just a few chapters in, by chapter 14, we're introduced to Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, the great man of faith, the great patriarch of faith in the Bible. Well, at this part of the story, Abram has just gone to battle with some bad guys and stuff, and he's successful. And when he comes back, this priest out of nowhere, nobody knows where he comes from, uh, comes and blesses him. And then let's see what Abram does in response to this blessing. So in Genesis, the 14th chapter, we see, then Melchizedek, that's the name of this king, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And in response to that, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Tenth is where we get the word tithe. Now, this concept of a tithe continues Throughout the Bible, you got Abraham, you have a son Isaac, you got the next one, Jacob. We read about Jacob in Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and will give me my food to eat and clothes to wear. I mean, that's really what you want, right? God to watch over you on your journey. Make sure that you have enough, all right? So that I can return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There again is the tenth. The old English word is a tithe. All right, and it's representing 10% is what these guys were giving. 
Now, this is 450 years before Moses comes along. Now, this is significant to point out because Moses comes along and he brings the law of Moses. This is the Jewish law that Jewish people have to live by. You know, you know they're very strict. You know, yeah, they can't eat bacon. That's the least of their problems, man. They got, they got all kinds. There's rules about everything. When they can do this, when they can do that, when they can work, when they can't work, what they can eat, how they couldn't eat. They had rules about stuff you wouldn't dream of. If you're having a hard time sleeping tonight, just read that part of the Bible, man, because that'll just wear you out. And the craziest rule, one of my strangest ones. There's a rule in the Old Testament that if two guys are fighting and one of the guy's wives jumps in to help her husband and grabs the other guy by his gonads, <laughs> that she's supposed to be severely punished. Now I'm thinking... You mean to tell me there's that much gonad grabbing going on? <laughs> that you need a rule in the Bible about it? <laughs> Apparently, they were very grabby. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> so, I mean, they had rules, but you cannot imagine the rules that they have. Very restrictive. And one of the things that Moses does now is he codifies, which means to put into law, this idea of tithing. And we read about it in Deuteronomy when he's writing all these rules. And then he says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your field's produce each year. And, uh, and it goes on and on. Now, as you read the Old Testament, it's really an account of how God said, listen, if you'll do what I told you to do and follow the rules, I will bless you. If you don't, I will kick your butt. And it's a constant story of them ignoring God. He kicks your butt, and then he stops and they honor God, and he blesses them, and then they ignore God, and he kicks their butt. It's like over and over and over and over and over again. And then they got really bad. I mean, they got bad, 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 bad. And sometimes, you know, and God warned them, said, if you don't stop, I'm going to bring the hammer. I'm going to let invading armies come into your country. They're going to kill you by the tens of thousands. It's going to be serious if you don't stop it. And we often think when you read the Old Testament, well, why did God do this? Or why did God, you know, because it's a matter of perspective. You know, we're not just talking... You know, a group of people nobody liked and they went and killed. These were bad people. Uh, one of the uh, things that's actually helpful today, as horrible as it is, is this whole ISIS thing. These guys terrorizing people and raping and cutting off heads and burning people alive. I mean, they are creating hell on earth over there. And when somebody goes in and finally takes them out, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to go, yes. All right? These were the kinds of people that God sent them in to wipe out. These just weren't just everyday people. They were rotten, horrible people. That did if you doubt it, just read Google, read your history of what these pagans were like during that period of time. And what happened was the Israelites began to act just like them to the point that the Israelites even got to the point where they would take their own children and sacrifice them to these gods and stuff. I mean, we're talking vile, violent, disgusting, horrible things. And then finally, God brings the hammer down on them. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's like a major moment in, in Jewish history when they got taken away into captivity. But for those, you know, if, if, for those of you who think God is just waiting to smack you upside the head, just read that whole, you know, the, the book of Kings in the Old Testament is the story of how they just kept listen, refusing and refusing and refusing. God says, if you don't stop it, I'm going to get you. If you don't stop it, I'm going to get you. And for hundreds of years, apparently God's very patient. It's hard just to read Halfway through, I'm going, just kill him already. What's taking so long? So finally, 
God brings the hammer, they go into captivity, it jerks the slack out of them. And then when God brings them back to the Holy Land, from that point on, they stayed on the straight and narrow. And then shortly after, that's when Jesus came. Okay, and they, they finally got their act together again. But one of the knocks that uh, God had on Israel is they weren't obeying the rules. One of the rules was about tithing. And we read about it here where God's kind of ticked off at them. In Malachi, he says, will a mere mortal, you little rascals, just mere mortals, you're going to rob God? Yeah, you rob me. But how do we rob you, they ask. In tithes and offerings, God said, you weren't doing it. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And that's just one of the many things. They just were ignoring whatever Moses told them to do. We're not going to do it. And it put him in a bad place. So that's all Old Testament stuff. Then we get to the New Testament saying, well, did Jesus ever talk about tithing? Actually, he did. Once he's talking to the uh, Jewish leaders of the day, the religious leaders who he could not stand, and they hated him. They eventually crucified him. Uh, But he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. This is how anal these guys got. They went from ignoring all the laws to just becoming obsessed by it. So now, not only they just give their offering, you know, they have 10% of their mint and their dill and their cumin. He says, you've gotten all into this, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. What? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, that was Jesus, underlying again, this idea of tithing is good. But he's still talking to Jewish people. They lived under the Jewish rules. Jesus was a Jew, born of a Jewish mother, all that, you know, which I've never understood. I bring it up every once in a while. Every, you know, you hear some racist idiot skinhead or something being interviewed on the news, and they'll say, yeah, we need to get rid of these Jews and get back to the Bible. What a bunch of morons, right? The Bible they're holding was all written by Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His mom was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. And oh God, Christians hate Jews. It's a moron. All right? Anyway. So, uh, we get to the New Testament. Now, does the New Testament ever talk about it? Well, they, t- they references it when he starts telling the story again about Abraham and this guy Melchizedek who comes out of nowhere. We read about that in Hebrews. It says... This Melchizedek was the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham. Remember, we, at the time, he was just called Abram, not till later called Abraham. But he met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Then he goes on to talk about where this guy comes from and stuff like that. So, then the question comes, well, did the early Christians tithe? Really to the point of 10%? Well, undoubtedly they did, but primarily because they were Jewish Christians. And by the way, in the beginning, if you don't know your Christian history, it's really rather stunning. In the beginning, all Christians were Jewish. In fact, they didn't even think you could be a Christian if you weren't Jewish. And it became a problem because there's this news of this resurrection spread everywhere. People started believing in Jesus, and they would start coming, and they didn't know what to do with them. And they thought, well, we need to turn them into Jews first. So the thing was, they were telling these people as they were converting that you needed, all the guys needed to become circumcised, you know. Right? And then the Christians started arguing, really, we have to do that? And some said, yeah, you do. And some say you don't. And they got one of the biggest fights in the early church was whether or not to clip off the end of your, you know, whatever. So this was, this was a big deal. And then finally, the church settled the issue. Thanks be to God. 
And we read it in Acts, the 15th chapter. It says, uh, they got together and they finally came up with a conclusion. And the Jewish leaders, Christian Jewish people, because all these apostles and stuff were all Christian Jews, they said, well, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And this is good news. What he's about to list is the only, of all that big fat part of your Bible, that big fat part in the front with all these rules, there's only a few things that he says we have to pay attention to. Number one, uh, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Well, that's pretty easy. It's not an issue today unless they're doing stuff in the back of festival we don't know about, you know. And who knows what they're doing back there, but I'm assuming they're just, you know, cutting up meat. Uh, so that's not a problem. Then the next one is you're not supposed to have blood or the meat of strangled animals. What that meant was, again, we're talking pagan cultures here. What they would do, and there's still some cultures actually that do this, they don't bleed the animals when they, when they you know, butcher them. That's certainly what we do in Western culture. What they would do is they would strangle the animals so that all the blood would stay in them. You talk about medium rare. All right, I mean, it was gooey, 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 gooey. And they'd actually drink the blood and stuff was part of it. Christians aren't supposed to do that. Okay. <laughs> I vote for that. Okay. And the last one is sexual immorality. And yeah, this is one of the things. Christians are not supposed to be just hopping in bed randomly with people. Somebody say amen. amen. Good Lord. All right, so that's basically it. We don't have to have people get circumcised. Thanks be to God. Hard enough to get men to come to church. <laughs> we won't go there. All right, so now. So the question is, are Christians now required to tithe as set out in the law of Moses? And the answer is no, which might shock some of you. Now, should they tithe? Ah, that's a different question. I remember I was in some place in town here, and somebody said, oh, you're, you're that church. I said, people have to tithe. I said, oh, no, we don't believe people have to tithe. I said, oh, good. I said, no, we think people should tithe. Ugh, you know. See, there, there's a difference, and it's not a small difference. It's amazing. You have to understand, true Christianity is not about forced obligation. It's just not. For example, do you have to go to church? No. Should you go to church? Yes, and more than just six times a year. Thank you very much, yes. You should. Do you have to pray? No. Should you pray? Yes. Do Christians have to read the Bible? No. And I know this shocks people. As Christians, you don't really have to do jack squat. You really don't. It's not an obligatory thing. Now. Make no mistake, for hundreds of years, many churches tried to turn it into obligatory things, and they came up with their laws and their rules. They basically were coming up with a Christian version of Judaism, is really what they were doing. And some of the more traditional churches, we love them, but they're just really, but it's really not about that. So why would we do anything? One major motivating factor, judgment day. Kind of a big motivator, Okay. Someday we will all have to stand before God and give an account of how we lived our lives. That's why you should do things. But it's not a have-to thing. 
This isn't like some really restrictive religion where you've got to click all the boxes and all the kind of stuff. We are walking in the love of God. We have the forgiveness that's in Christ. We get to love each other. There's freedom as a Christian. And now we do things instead of written on stone, it's written on our hearts. That doesn't mean you aren't supposed to do anything, but it's really, it's not obligatory. We should do them, but it's not obligatory, if that makes any sense. Do you have to help people? No. Should you help people? Well, yes. Should Christians, do Christians have to give money? The answer is no, you don't have to do jack. But should you? Of course you should. Again, the bulk of the Christian expression is not one of obligation. It's a matter of choice. Freely choosing to do what is right, honorable, and true. Freely choosing to advance God's kingdom. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And we want to honor God. Now, the New Testament, even though it doesn't specifically get onto Christians about exactly how much they should give, uh, it's definitely into the giving. As we said earlier, Jesus said you're supposed to deny yourself. We are supposed to give to those who have need. We're supposed to give sacrificially. The amount of money you give shouldn't be, gee, what can I live without today that I won't miss? Well, that's not much giving, right? Uh, you're supposed to give sacrificially. And remember, Jesus uh, was standing in the temple one day where they were giving the offerings. And back in those days, they all came and gave their offerings in one place. Everybody could see what they were giving. They didn't hand buckets around like we do. That would be like, you know, everybody coming forward and I get to watch what you throw in. Actually, that'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? Hey, come back. You owe some money. All right, so... So that's what, that's what they're doing. And Jesus said a little old lady, a widow came up, and she had two pennies. And she walked in and she tossed in two pennies and walked away. And Jesus said, did you see that? I said, what? That lady, she gave more money than all those people. Why? Because he gave in proportion to what she had. She had very, very little. The nice thing about the tithe, this percentage idea, it's in proportion to how much God blesses you. Now, tithing clearly is the gold standard. Do I think Christians should tithe? I think you should. I think that's be a great way. Now, if you've never done that, if you're not, you know, start where you can and grow into it. It's one of the great things about teaching your kids to do this early. People who learn to do this as children don't have a problem giving 10%. They earn, they bring home a, a buck, they throw 10 cents in the offering. It's automatic to them. And a lot of you guys do this, you don't have any problem because you were raised doing this your whole life. Some of you came into faith later, the idea of doing that is like, ah! You know, you can't even imagine it. Well, nobody's going to yell at you. I'm not going around beating you over the head with a stick over the deal. But, you know, actually, if I did follow you around, some of you would live bitter lives, better lives. <laughs> it's true. It's so funny because people know I'm a pastor. You should see how people transform when I show up. It's quite fast. The language immediately just purifies, you know. And, it's just, and I'm just, I didn't say anything. I'm just laughing with it. You know. And it's amazing. You know, some of you couples that are always yelling and screaming at each other, you think you can't control yourselves? You can control yourselves. You know why? Because if I show up, you'll stop it. It's true. It's true. We had a couple once stay with us for, for many months for whatever reason. And, uh, and I remember at the end of the, the period of time, one of them said to me, you know, it was amazing staying with you guys because there's a special gift in your home. We did not argue the entire time we were in your home. I said, there's no special gift. 
We can hear you. <laughs> right? See, we can control ourselves. Everybody say, control myself. Yeah, you can control yourself. Now, Christianity isn't about the pastor going around and checking up on every little thing that you do. Though, for many of you, that would be a vast improvement in your lives. At some point, it's not about that. You have to willingly do it from the heart, right? You say, well, I, I don't know if I can do 10%. Well, do 1%. Do, do, do something. Just don't go willy-nilly through life and grow in your faith. Here's the beautiful thing about it. And Jesus didn't go around hammering on percentages. What he said is this. Give, and it will be given to you. The more generous you are, the more God will bless you. And let's face it. Most of us really don't believe it. Because if we did, we'd give more. Some of you have more faith in the lottery. Because you'll give to them with the promise that you might get something back. Now, my word of advice, don't buy a bunch of lottery tickets, okay? It's a tax on ignorance, okay? So if a pastor, it's because there's a billion and a half dollars. That's because dumb people went and bought lots of tickets. That money doesn't come from trees. That's how much money morons gave trying to win the prize. So well, what if God wants to bless me? Okay, then just buy one, right? You can't win if you don't play, right? So just buy one. Two bucks, you're done. If God wants you to get it, then you'll get it. Personally, I hope somebody in my church will win a billion dollars. That would be a great encouragement to me. Unless you're one of these rats that never tie. Then I don't hope you don't get it. All right? What was I talking about? I don't even know. Oh, give, and it can be given to you. The reason you buy the ticket is because you got this. Just, you know, you're just more likely that you'll be struck twice by lightning today <laughs> than win the lottery. Right? But, man, I'm, I, I believe those people. I'm going to give my $20. Come on, man, give me some. Some of you believe the lottery more than you believe Jesus. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. He said, and not just a little girly man gift. He said, press down, shaken together, running over, will be blessed into your life. If you really believe that, you'd give. Let's face it, most of us don't really believe it. At least be honest. Think, I got to hang on with my precious, my precious. I love my precious. I love my because we don't believe that if we give, we'll get back more. All right, I'm not yelling at you. Well, I am yelling at you, but I want to help you grow in your faith. If you really get this, you start to understand. The people who do this in this congregation are the people who are the most financially blessed people in this congregation. Straight up. Because they, they learn the secret. They learn the secret. What's the secret? Give. What? <laughs> Give and it'll be given to you. God wants to bless you. It's not about what you have to do. All right. What else am I going to say? That's enough. <laughs> I think I'll beat this horse to death. All right. So next Sunday, we'll talk a little bit more about this thing. I know people don't like it. Look, look it's not that like you're trying to buy God's love for you. You can't by God's love for you. You can give all the money in the world, won't get you anything. It doesn't make you holier, it doesn't do, it's none of that. 
We live under the grace of God. We're here because God loved us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if we put our hope and trust in him, we can have forgiveness, we can have purpose, we can have hope, we can have life, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's people who think they can. They think, well, you know, I'll just be better than I am bad, you know. Well, first of all, nobody pulls that off anyway. If that's your version of your hope to get in, sucks to be you, all right? Because most people, it's, you know, bad really weighs out the little good that you do. Thankfully, it's not about that. You can't earn it. It's about putting your trust in Jesus. If you could have worked it out yourself, if you could have made it so that Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, he would not have done it. The reason he did it is because we were hopelessly, impossibly lost on our own. So this is all a gift, okay? You're not earning anything. You're not buying anything. Uh, And and I promise you, in this church, you know, we have never shown greater favor to people who give money, lots of money, than those who don't. And some of you who give lots of money know, because I've, I've never even called you. <laughs> Hopefully you don't take offense at that. I mean, it's just, we, ju- we just don't, you know, I'm grateful, because it helps turn on the lights and stuff, you know, but this is between you and God. This isn't about buying favor or anything. It's about, from the heart, I'm going to honor God. It's part of that continual, all-year-long expression of sacrifice, all-year-long expression of denying ourselves, all-year-long expression of saying, I'm putting God first in my life. Don't consume everything God gives you. He doesn't bless your life so you can take everything for yourself. It was never intended to be that way. And make no mistake, God doesn't need your money. God is not broke, all right? He's not looking at the bills going, oh, myself. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do with this stuff. You know, he he pretty much has this nailed, okay? This is for you. It's an act of faith, and it's an act of denying yourself, which is what we're talking about during Lent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your kindness, and your grace in our lives. Help us to be more Christ-like. And Lord, fill us with faith. God, the reason we don't really give is we're afraid that if we let go, that we'll just have less. Help us get to the place where we can see that when we let go, that you actually bless us with even more. Help us to be faithful stewards of what you've brought into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. And I'll see all of you Wednesday night. Good, good, good. Good to see you.